right, hour number two is underway at 8 minutes past 10 o'clock. Thank you so much for joining us on this Wednesday, the 8th morning of the 7th month of the year of our Lord 2020. We're going to forego our traditional Ronald Reagan top of the hour so that we have more time with our guest who needs as much time as we can possibly give him. Uh, he has put in as much time as anybody, more time than anybody can even imagine in trying to bring the truth about the Chinese coronavirus in the state of Ohio and the consequences of the decisions made in response to the coronavirus. Uh, then, uh, then I can even keep, keep mad. Jack Windsor, have you counted? Do you do you count how many hours per week you work? Uh, Jack Windsor of WMF TV, <laughs> and I mean that literally from from your time you wake up to your pre- your preparation for the pre- daily press conference to your travel to to your participation in, then to your sometimes two hour long Facebook live presentations of the facts here, Jack Windsor. First of all, welcome to the program, my friend. It's good to have you back. Second of all, legitimately, you've got to be putting in a 60, 70, 80-hour week. Bob France, it's an honor. Thank you so much. I love being on the show. It's, uh, it's humbling that uh, I get a chance to talk with you and, uh, and your listeners. You know, I don't know how much I work. There's a, an old quote by, I think the guy's last name is Mishner, and, and I'm going to probably hack it up here, but he basically says there's, uh, a master at the art of living makes no distinction between you know his life, uh, his life and his leisure, um, his work and you know whatever he just does it all and calls it life. And that's kind of where I'm at. That's where I've been for a long time. Uh, believe it or not, I actually have other irons in the fire in addition to investigative reporting. But yeah, I eat, sleep, drink, breathe all of this. Something happened to me in March. I, I can't explain what it was. Um, I couldn't couldn't sleep the way that I was able to before that. Um, and it had everything to do with these press conferences, the coronavirus, and what was going on. And, um, you know, that was the catalyst. I just don't okay. – there, there's a spirit of unrest, I think, in me because I just want to get to the bottom of everything. Well, um, first of all, I don't care if you hacked up the quote or not. The point was made, and I liked it, and it's a good one. Uh, this is your life right now, and this is what's important to you. And so whether it's called leisure or work, you're living it, and you're doing it. And we are all grateful for it, and I mean that very sincerely, Jack. Um, okay, um, so let's let's dive in here. Um, you have been very uh, aggressive uh, about this color-coding system, and more particularly since Governor DeWine put his little color-coding system uh, on display at the end of last week and then announced that, by the way, those that are in the red, and you can explain the uh, the, the color system, those that are in the red are in the most severe jeopardy of widespread infection. And those individuals are going to have to, people who live in those counties now, are going to have to wear masks in public to prevent the spread of this terrible disease that is really on the verge of knocking people out, of killing people by the scores in these particular counties. Now, you wrote about this yesterday on Facebook as part of your reporting, uh, and maybe you did it for WMFD-TV and their website as well, but I read your, your post on Facebook. Explain to us this color-coding system and why Everything that we heard from Mike DeWine and his team about this is disingenuous at best and outright dishonesty and lying and being deceptive to the people at worst. So there is a color coding system, and this was brought out uh, during the presser last Thursday. Mm-hmm. And what it does is it assigns every county in the state a color. And the colors start at yellow, and then You know, they ratchet up to orange, red, and purple. Mm -hmm. So level one is is the yellow, level two is the orange, three is red, and four is purple. And at level one, 
uh, it indicates that there's active exposure and spread and that we need to follow all current health orders. Now, keep in mind, we are still under a state of emergency, and I'll explain that in a bit. But the interesting thing is there isn't a county in the state of Ohio that can escape the yellow color. And what I said yesterday, I still stand by. Words matter, and colors evoke emotion. Talk to any politician. You know what colors they don't usually put on their signs? They don't, they don't put, like, you know, the real yellow, orange, you know, scary kind of colors. They talk to any marketing person. And what's interesting about us being at least in yellow and in some places red is that when you go to the CDC site, and I want to be really careful here because I got a lot of pushback on something that I, I stated, and I will state it again. And uh, if you go to the CDC site, they have what's called the ILI net, which is influenza-like illness. Mm-hmm. A couple of months back, they decided that they were going to put everything into one bucket. When they did that, they said, and when I say everything, that means COVID cases. So uh, pneumonia, influenza, and COVID was going to go into one bucket, right? And so uh, when they did that, they said, we're doing it because the flu season is essentially over and we already have this tracking mechanism set up, so we're going to do it this way. Well, what they've come out now and said is that well, we did that because we want to be able to compare it to past influenza seasons. Whatever the case, it's all reported the same way. And when you look at the map, they have a map uh, that, that they color code. Every state in the country is green, which means that, you know, we are at a, a very low risk, that we're in, we're in good shape with respect to COVID, ILI, you know, PIC, whatever they want to call it. And they also came out last week, they being the CDC, and said this is the 10th week in a row that deaths have been on the decline, and this thing is actually at risk of going below the epidemic threshold. Right. So they, they paint a picture, and then you look at the Ohio map, and that was my first problem. We have counties, 51 of 88 counties had fewer than 10 deaths. And we know that this goes back now to November of 2019, and we have the first confirmed case. And they've... Jack, let me interrupt here. Let me interrupt here just to uh, ask you, and if you want to do it now or you can come back to it later, but one of the things that you reported on one of your videos um, talked about uh, the presence of the coronavirus in Ohio in March of 2019, not March of this year, but going back to March of 2019 and even earlier than that in other places. Uh, but I want to make sure that everybody understands that this is not as new as everybody would have you think, uh, that it has been around for a very long time and the spread thus has gone on uh, unchecked for months and months and months and months and months and nobody even knew it was there. So I just want to make sure you, if you want to hit that now, you can, or if you want to continue I, I do. on to the 51 of 88 counties. Yeah, I do want to hit that because, uh, so I want to clarify too, November 12th is the earliest in Ohio that has been documented and, and that's been at the county level. So um, that's important because that still takes us November, December, January, February, into the end of March. Five months unmitigated somewhere between two and a half and five are not, which right. means that one person is affected is infecting two to five people. Okay? So it doesn't take long to do the math on that to see, okay, if this thing is what they say that it is, and by the way, the thing that they're going to start saying now is that it's airborne, well, great. Well, I'm going to take that information back and say, well, then if it's airborne, where were we in November? And six million of us have probably already had this. But 
Right. That's neither here nor there. So no, Because if it, if it is airborne now, which is what they're saying, it has always been airborne. The virus hasn't yeah. changed. The virus isn't something different now than it was then. It is the Chinese coronavirus. It is COVID-19, whatever they want to call it. it if it was air, if it's airborne now, it's always been airborne. And if it's always been airborne, like you said, then what about five months of no masks, no social distancing, no cancellation of schools or, or this or that or the other thing? You know, why, you know what is our, our great threat here? Go ahead. That's exactly right. And hospitals were not overrun. People weren't dying in the street. In fact, I remember that time, life was normal, right? We we had normal life. We didn't have new normal. We had normal life. We didn't know any better. But what we also found was that in Spain, uh, they have uh, tested solid waste and found solid waste from March of 2019. So March of 2019 is is now kind of the, the beginning point this virus, which, all right, so if it was in fecal matter, then it was probably here in February of 2019, and was it only, okay, so you can kind of go back and then go, wait a minute, was it here at the end of the flu season of 2018 into 2019? So we, we this virus has been here for a long time, and I think that's really important. Um, and of that time period, let's just say, we'll go back to November in Ohio, 51 counties in Ohio have had less than 10 deaths. And they have started to decelerate and decline in cases, deaths, hospitalizations. Most of them are flat. They haven't had any new deaths. But yet they're on that chart as a yellow. And that doesn't make sense to me because the chart, again, when you read it, it says if you're, if you're in the yellow zone, then there's active exposure and spread. And that's just not happening. Uh, and I, I mean, there are, you can look at any one of the 50, 51 counties, go to any, you know, um, uh, urban area, or excuse me, uh, suburban area. Go to any country area and, and find a county, and and I would I would bet that there hasn't been any case activity for months. But we're calling them, you know, code code yellow. Code yellow, so, right? So so those fifty one, it did. If those fifty one counties have had less than ten deaths. In roughly nine months, nine to ten months, if you go back to November, I guess I would say nine months, going back to November, and uh, and they've seen this virus, as you point out, decelerate and then decline in those communities. Why are they under any restriction at all? And I mean anything. Why aren't we full go, uh, get back to school, get back to concerts, get back to the movies, go back to whatever? There is not a threat in this county, number one. And then number two, let's get to the red counties now, because those are the ones that I really want you to focus on. These are the ones that, as you say, Jack, are one short step away from purple, meaning everybody locks in place and is only allowed to leave their home for supplies and survival services, um, which is just simply incredible. Let's move to the reds. So the reds, these are these are counties that have um, four to five indicators triggered. Now, those indicators are new cases, per capita, increase in new cases, non-congregate cases, Emergency room visits, outpatient visits, hospitalization, uh, hospital admissions, or ICU bed occupancy. By the way, what we're seeing largely is new cases per capita, increases in new cases, non-congregate cases, and then outpatient visits. And we'll talk about how that really fudges the numbers. But yes, these these counties: Franklin, Cuyahoga, Hamilton, Montgomery, Butler, Huron, and Trumbull counties are at a level three, which says that. Very high exposure and spread. Limit activities as much as possible. Follow all current orders. And if they if they toggle over to that next one, if they roll over into level four, 
and you're absolutely right. They're supposed to stay home unless they're unless they go out for supplies or services. So my point yesterday was, um, and I've made this point before, and, and when you, you see the dashboard that the governor presents during the press conference, yeah, when you when you go to the site, that dashboard, like the 21 day rolling average, so on and so forth. We've said this from the beginning. That information is not in the last 24 hours. That information now can reach back to November of 2019 or January of 2020. And it is the date on which information is reported. And it's really deceptive to say reported it in the last 24 hours. Now, they do show a 21-day average, and I won't get into that, but the numbers that you see are not numbers that are real-time. If you go in further into the site, you can click on each county and then gather those numbers. So that's what I did yesterday. And this was the post that um, it really, wow, it, it went viral. It brought out a lot of trolls. Yeah. But it is what it is. Uh, when I dove in yesterday, Franklin, Cuyahoga, Hamilton, Montgomery, Butler, Huron, and, and Trumbull counties, our red counties, the ones that are about to be shut down, on 7-5. Now, yesterday was 7-7. Seven, seven, mm-hmm. And the reason I went back to 7-5 was to be kind, to account for you know any 24-hour reporting lag. So let's go back to 7-5. There were 15 hospitalizations and zero deaths in those seven red counties as of yesterday morning. And those that's, are the red that, that's combined. Red that's combined. 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 All six, six counties, all in the red, all a breath away from being purple and, and as you say, locking in place with the exception of survival uh, uh, supplies. A grand total of 15. Did I hear that right? 15 hospitalizations. That's correct. So the concern that we have about overrunning our hospitals and everything else they told us about flattening the curve back in March, um, we're talking a combined... Fa- how many hospitals exist in those, in those combined... Uh, how many counties? Six counties? Two, four, seven six, counties, seven yeah. counties. How many hospitals exist in those seven counties that 15 hospitalizations are threatening to overrun them, and yet now everybody in that, those counties must live their lives under a mask? I am I am almost speechless to this. In fact, I'll have to be because we have to take a break, Jack Windsor. But I want to come back and talk about that. And I want to talk about the death rate. And I'm going to talk to you about the statement that the leading epidemiologist in America who's on the coronavirus task force in the White House, Dr. Anthony Fauci, said about the death rate. I want to get your reaction to that as well as we continue on AM 1420, The Answer. Some All right, 1026, a four-minute segment here with Jack Windsor, who's going to be with us for the duration of this hour. Jack Windsor, WMFD television reporter uh, and intrepid online reporter as well, exposing the truth about what's going on in Ohio with respect to the COVID uh, virus and the response. Okay, Jack, you wrote in your viral um, post yesterday, about testing being administered at pop-up locations and how the entire population is essentially being tested. Most of the cases are asymptomatic that are positive. There are false positives. There are also antibodies tests being conducted. And you write this. 
Testing is increased for a long enough period that hospitalizations and deaths would be massively increasing if what the headlines want us to believe is true, that these cases are going to result in hospitalizations and deaths. This massive number of new positive cases should result in more hospitalizations and deaths. Never mind, you write, that deaths include those who died from COVID and those who died with a trace of COVID in their system from something totally unrelated, such as a car accident, for example. Um Deaths apparently don't matter, Jack Windsor, says Dr. Anthony Fauci. Uh, I want to emphasize just because it's such important what the senator just said, that it's a false narrative to take comfort in, in a lower rate of death. There's so many other things that are very dangerous and bad about this virus. Don't get yourself into false complacency. It's a false comfort, Jack Windsor, to acknowledge that less people are dying than we thought would die from this supposedly terribly deadly uh, virus. Go ahead. I'm speechless, Bob. <laughs> I'm speechless with that. Um, that that's crazy to me. So, what is our end game? Are we are we not trying to save lives, and are we not trying to have a full scope understanding of what this virus is and 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 what it means. I mean, look, that's insulting if you're a, a business owner and uh, you've been put out of business because you were shut down to flatten the curve and buy time uh, for hospitals to ramp capacity. And now they're coming out and say, oh, you know, deaths don't matter. This is a false narrative. Well, okay. So then, what are you grading us on? And what are the rules of the game? And how do we know if we're winning or losing? I mean, that to me is absurd. How do you feel about that? I'm stunned by it. Well, the hospitalizations are declining extraordinarily. They're trying to say that they're not saying, you know, some hospitals are at 90% capacity, but they're not pointing out that 80 to 90% of that 90% of people are people there for things that they could not get during the shutdowns and during the time that the hospitals would That's not right. take people for, for, um, uh, uh, non-essential surgeries, procedures, treatments, etc. Only 15 to 15% of that 90% near capacity are people in therefore COVID-related uh, conditions. And as you have pointed out, Jack Windsor and others, even that number is skewed because they will take somebody who is there for a routine colonoscopy or for a to treat a sprained ankle. Right. And yep. they have to test anybody who comes in. So they test somebody who's there for an ankle problem, find out if he's got COVID, and now he's admitted to the hospital and it's registered as a COVID hospitalization. Had nothing to do with the reason why he's there whatsoever. So the hospitalizations are down. The deaths are bottoming out. I mean, it's extraordinary how low the mortality rate is now. And they're telling us, oh, don't tell, don't look at the death rate. Don't look at the hospitalization rate. Just look at the spread. Look at the spread of the disease. Look how infectious it is. Don't look at the fact that it's not hospitalizing or killing anyone, because then we will lose the power of fear that they have worked so hard to perpetuate. I'm so glad you said that, because to me, that's moving the goalpost, right? We we don't have we don't have the uh, pandemic level of deaths that we thought we were going to have. And by the way, you already said it. There's no distinction between dying from COVID and dying with COVID. And again, Ohio follows the CDC guideline, which states um, it could be a presumed death. It could be uh, meaning if if I die and it's presumed without without a test and it's written on a death certificate, that's a COVID death. That's if I get hit by a bus and I have COVID in my system, <laughs> that's a COVID death. That's a COVID death on so, the charts. That's the way they code I, I mean, it. 
Uh, Jack, Jack, let me jump in because I got to get our news here, and I'm, I'm going to I'm gonna, I'll let you pick that up there uh, when we come back from the news, and then we're going to talk about the mask orders in those six counties and others to come, and other cities, by the way, because the governor gave uh, municipalities the authority to um, enact whatever orders they wish uh, as it pertains to masking and and social distancing and protection and so on and so forth, and then we're going to talk about how long this is going to go on. One. Um, very well-known researcher at a very well-known American medical institution has said, get ready for a very long haul here. I'm going to get your thoughts on that as we continue to. Jack Windsor, right back with us after this on AM 1420, The Answer. Okay, it's 1036. We continue now on AM 1420, The Answer, with uh, Jack Windsor joining us. Jack Windsor is a WMFD-TV reporter down in Mansfield, and he is uh, doing uh, unbelievable work, yeoman's work, in uh, trying to expose the truth about the real threats of the COVID, uh, the Chinese coronavirus in the state of Ohio, versus the fear-mongering threats uh, expressed by Governor Mike DeWine and the new health director, Himes, as well as, of course, the health expert, uh, Dr. Amy Labcoat. Okay, uh, Jack, um, uh, first of all, finish your thoughts on the death, uh, uh, the death rate that we have been talking about. Yeah. And then, and then I want to move on to the masks. Uh, and then I want to open the, the phone lines up. So I want people right now, take this time while Jack is responding. If you've got a question for Jack Windsor about any or all of what he is working on, what he has researched and what he is explaining, call now, 216-901-0945. We'll put you on the air with Jack. 888-281-1110. So this is your opportunity to get in and ask your questions, maybe the same kinds of questions that Jack is going to ask the governor tomorrow in the next uh, in the next press briefing. But Jack, finish your thought from the last segment yeah. and then we'll move on. Yeah, so I'm going to I'm going to quickly uh, ramp into that. I want to let you know while we were on the break, I I went back and looked at Franklin Cuyahoga, Hamilton, Montgomery, Butler here on Trumbull County because mm-hmm. the state updates the sites the site every day and they will backfill. So it is a little bit, uh, you know, less rosier, but those seven counties on the fifth had 27 hospitalizations and five deaths in those seven counties total. Uh, so 27 hospitalizations, five deaths. Um, still terrible for the five people who died in their families. Um, but it, again, it does not look like this is, if this is, if we're in the red zone, um, that's just peculiar information for me. So, but let's talk about that. That's we huge, though, Jack. Don't don't gloss over that. That's huge. What you just said, even with the updated numbers, five deaths in seven counties. Uh, what was it? How many hospitalizations? Twenty five. Twenty five hospitalizations. Did I hear that right? Twenty seven hospitalizations. Twenty seven hospitalizations. Five deaths. And and really, our most densely populated areas in the state. And I would like to know, again, how many hospitals are there in each of those counties combined? I'm going to assume there are several in each county, and we're talking about 27 total hospitalizations. So I don't want to hear a word from them about overrunning the system or about uh, you know taking too many resources. There's not enough beds. There's not enough ICU, not enough ventilators, blah, blah. I don't want to hear a word about it. So continue, please. Yeah, so that's the, that's the interesting part, right? So now we're talking about five deaths. Five deaths is terrible. Fauci's now saying that, that deaths don't matter. So we're kind of in this really weird spot where we're being shamed, right? If the deaths go up, it's our fault. If, if we don't, if we ignore deaths and we say cases don't matter, then we're irresponsible. It, so there's really kind of this emotional war game going on. But let's talk about deaths. We already talked about it. If I get hit by a bus, I have COVID in my system, then that counts as, as a COVID death. But there are three classifications. There's provisional, 
confirmed, and probable. All three of those categories, according to the CDC, go into COVID deaths. And we've heard auto accidents. There are people who have been classified. Uh, there was a probable, uh, there was a, a woman who I think she was in stage four cancer, terminal illness, and caught a little bit of the flu. And so they said, well, that's, that's probable. Uh, even though, you know, she was terminal, we're going to count that as a COVID death. So for me, I don't know how many deaths we have, and we could even talk about cases and how nebulous that is. So what is the marker? Is it cases? Is it hospitalizations? And is it deaths? And at what point do we say, look, we're not going to be able to stop the spread? We probably haven't because it was here in March of 2019. And, and if, if deaths are, are going down, what are we doing? What is our end game with everything that we're doing? That's where it gets mind-numbing. And, you know, we have these discussions online all the time, and people come against me and say, well, you know, this information and that information. And, and, and to me, we're, we're working hard to present the most accurate information available and even when you give the state the benefit of the doubt, when you, when you include cases, probable cases, uh, you know, confirmed deaths and, and probable deaths, it still doesn't all add up. So for me, um, when you start getting into, all right, deaths are these three areas, and they can't tell you beyond a shadow of a doubt that this is absolutely a COVID death, what are we supposed to do with that? If they can't tell you that this is an absolute COVID case, so for example, you can have an epidemiological linkage, uh, a, a clinical probability for a positive case, which means they don't even have to put the swab in your nose. And if you have just a second, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what the uh, epidemiological link is, um, because I think, I think people need to understand this. It's a little bit scary uh, the way that I read it here. Give me just a second to pull it up. So with the epidemiological linkage, one or more of the following exposures in 14 days before the onset of symptoms. Close contact with a confirmed or probable case of COVID-19. And that close contact with a person that is clinically compatible or has a linkage to COVID-19 through some, basically through contact tracing. If you travel to or you reside in an area with sustained ongoing community trans, uh, transmission, you can be coded epidemiological linkage COVID positive. And I'll give you the, I'll give you the case in, uh, in point. We heard that uh, there was a, a flare-up in the Amish community. Did you hear that up there, Bob? I did, did, I did yes. Okay. So here's what happened there. There was a case. The person apparently tested positive, and they sent 300 test kits up there uh, to Amish country, and the Amish said, no, we're not going to do that. And so what they did was they started counting people in that Ordinance, people in that family as a positive case because they didn't test and they used the epidemiological linkage. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt in the county in, in, in central Ohio, I'm going to publish this. I have my hands on the email where a family member tested positive. I don't know if it was a, actually a swab test or if it was a presumed test or a presumed um, classification, but that person was positive, was encouraged to go into isolation and lockdown, and the family members were also counted as a positive case. The person reached out to the health director and said, hey, why did you do that? And the health director said, well, because it's a heck of a lot safer to assume that they're sick than to go out and test them, so we're going to count it. 
this is this is impossible uh, to believe that this is true. And I know that it is. It is incredible. Though, And by the way, when you started to say they were tested positive and then they went into isolation, in order to get out of isolation, they have to be tested again. And then maybe yeah. again and get two negative tests in a row before they can be let out. And Jack, you got confirmation yesterday. This is something else that may or maybe it was Monday, but I remember reading it on your, your Facebook yesterday from the governor's office that yes, a positive case means just another positive test, not a separate person. The same person can be tested while in isolation two, three, four, five times and it will yep. look like massive spread, five new cases and, and you multiply that by you know uh, uh, several people, you know, massive you know, amount of new cases, the infection is getting out of control when it could be the same individuals being tested multiple times. You did get confirmation that that is how they count them. Yes, I did get confirmation um, from someone in the administration, and the, that was the answer. Yes, if somebody, for example, is in isolation and they have the initial test, they test positive three more times, then that, that counts as four positive tests and four positive cases. Now, that's where it's like a rugby scrum, right? People are arguing about it, um, and I'll tell you what that means to me. It means, okay, I have somebody in the government, uh, you know, higher levels saying that that's the case, but all right, then let's split the legal hair. Uh, what's, what's the difference between a positive test and a case? Because what I just heard is that cases, uh, that are positive, multiple case, or excuse me, tests that are positive, multiple positive tests for one person are rolling up into multiple positive cases. So, but at the end of the day, do you know what's really scary about that? Why in Hades is that not clearly articulated on the website? If we're making decisions and we're talking about spread, why, yeah. why, why are we having to guess? Why do you have to dig been... that out and get somebody to finally confess it to one reporter? Why isn't that being broadcast? Remember, positive cases do not mean new people being tested positive. That is a very important distinction that they don't want people to get because of what we said at the bottom of the first uh, segment, or at the bottom of the hour, Jack, and that is it gets in the way of the fear that they are trying to perpetuate. I, I hate to cut you off, but I want to get some people on the air with you, and also I want to get your response to what I teased with before the break, which was the statement by the Johns Hopkins medical researcher. Uh, his name is Eric Toner, senior scholar at Johns Hopkins Center for Health Security, who specializes in pandemic preparedness, who declared the following. I think that mask wearing and some degree of social distancing we will be living with, hopefully living with happily, for several years, Period. He, he said some more things after that, but I just want to abbreviate that so I can get your quick response before we take phone calls. Jack, do you think Americans are going to, are going to um, uh, allow themselves to live their lives for years covering their faces, not having human contact with other people, not being allowed to be in a crowd, not being able to go to a concert, not being able to go to a game, not being able to, I don't know, live the free life that this nation has promised us since its inception 244 years ago? Do you think we're going to go along with that happily, as the, uh, as the doctor says? I'll answer that in, in two short answers. What did the Surgeon General say on Friday of last week? He said, people should wear masks, but we should not mandate it. It's too divisive. People won't do it. And I agree with that. My second answer is I went to the press conference yesterday, and apparently masks are mandated in Columbus. I did not wear my mask. I will not wear a mask. Good for uh, you. For several reasons. For several reasons. When you even read, they'll point to that um, New England uh, Journal of Medicine article, Right. Well, when you go into that New, New England Journal of Medicine article, even though they 
they, they admit they tweaked it to try to get people to wear more masks, the, the, the foundation is still the same. If, if you're not in close contact for a long period of time, wearing a mask doesn't make sense. If you're healthy, wearing a mask doesn't make sense. And, oh, by the way, one of the ways that they can give you this uh, clinical positive case is if you exhibit two signs. If you have a headache and you have a sore throat, then clinically you could be probable. You could count positive for COVID. Now, let me tell you, I did one day wear an N95 mask in the beginning to try it out. Here's what happened. By the way, I'm asthmatic. I got a headache and I had a sore throat. Why did I have a sore throat? Because when you can't get enough oxygen, instead of breathing through your nose, you start breathing through your mouth. And when you breathe through your mouth, your throat gets dry. And then you have a sore throat. So I wear a mask that cuts off my oxygen. I have a headache and a sore throat, and I can be counted positive for COVID. No, I don't think people are going to wear masks. Um, you know, I, I think that is the end goal, or the intermediate goal, because eventually I think they're going to trade masks for vaccines. So... I can tell you there are a lot of people who need wow. the long game and will not wear a mask. And I'm glad. Do you get uh, the side eye not wearing the mask now that it's been mandated in Columbus? Are you getting any flack? Is anybody, are any police officers coming up to you? Any of the guards at the Capitol building saying you have to wear a mask or you can't be here? You'll love this. I walked in and a state highway patrolman uh, was there and I said, hey, I've got this mask, right? I can put it on my belt loop and wear it. You know, I kind of winked. I said, but I'm not going to wear it. Is that going to be a problem? And he said, oh, what's going to happen? The Columbus police going to come in and arrest you? I'd like to see him get in and do that. And I, said, I would, too. I would, too. <laughs> I, I would, too. And you know what? I think there are going to be more police, both leaders in terms of leadership, like chiefs and sheriffs, uh, like Sheriff uh, Jones in Butler County, than, than we're going to have individual officers who are going to say, hey, I'm going to take you in or I'm going to cite you if you don't We've do that. We've all taken cuts. We have less people. We have less money. We have less resources. But crime is still up. People are going to be angry. Don't call 911 for this. Call the health department. They're the ones that want to enforce this. Good for them. I am not going to be the mask police, period. I am not going to be the mask police, said Sheriff Jones in Butler County. And by God, I hope they all follow that line uh, uh, of reason rather than the line pushed by Frank Jackson, the mayor of Cleveland, who yesterday said we are going to have 911 callers or dispatchers ready to take your calls of reporting other people for not wearing masks. Simply insane. Okay, let's get let's get a few people on here, Jack. And I know we've talked an awful lot. Uh, Dan in Middleburg Heights wants to get in with a question for Jack Windsor. Dan, go right ahead. Uh, thank you, Jack. Doing a great job. Uh, thank one you, thing Dan. I want you to look into uh, is that if you could look into between the common cold, influenza, and this COVID. Now that you're telling me that it goes back to last November or March. I'm willing to bet there's two to six million people out of the 12 million in Ohio, just in Ohio, that are walking around positive with no symptoms. If you could, with a snapshot right now, just test everybody for those three, because the common cold is a COVID virus. They would be positive, and that's why I don't know, and any of my friends, nobody knows anybody that's sick, because we work, we live in a world of allergens and pathogens. So mm-hmm. it's like a CIA dirty trick on everybody. So keep up the good work. Thank you, Dan. Appreciate the call, Jack. Uh, thank you, Dan. Uh, you know, the CDC came out, uh, I think it's been two weeks ago now, and said that the average, on average, each state has a 6% positive rate, meaning people have already had it. 
And that's average, and that's the low end. So that would be at least 700,000 people. The World Health Organization uh, said about a month ago that that number could be anywhere from 6% to 41% at the time, and that gets right into that 2 million to, to 6 million uh, number that, that Dan talked about. My guess is that there are a lot of people who have it and have antibodies or who have it and are asymptomatic. And by the way, we don't hear a lot about the fact still remains that asymptomatic spread is highly unlikely, highly unlikely, according to the WHO, the CDC, and even the director's orders from the past. So the interesting part is that I asked last week, um, where's the antibody testing? Acton promised in April that we were going to get this 1,200-person random sample Where's the antibody testing? And I will check in on that. That'll be the first question tomorrow, and that'll be the second part of my question. Why aren't we doing antibody tests? Why don't we know um, with certainty? I know that they dispatched some antibody testing um, operations up in uh, northwestern Ohio with law enforcement, and uh, one of the inside uh, folks there let me know that almost everybody was testing positive, and they stopped, they stopped doing it. So I don't know what that percentage is, but my understanding is that it was returning a, a very, very high level of uh, positive antibody tests. We need to understand how many people are infected. That is very important, those antibody tests, and you're right, we do need to understand that, and that's what they don't want us to do. They do not want us to understand the truth. That's why your work is so important. Jack, I've got to get our final time out here. I want to come back. One final question for you about testing. That'll be with Jack Windsor right after this. Okay, shorter break than I uh, anticipated, which means we have a few more minutes than I thought for uh, Jack Windsor. Jack, I want to ask you one last question, but I do have two other people, so we're going to ask them to get their questions in quickly, and I'm going to ask you one last question about testing. Maureen is in Parma, and you are on with Jack Windsor. Maureen, go right ahead. Oh, hi. Thank you so much for taking my call, and Jack, I just want you to know you are one of my heroes. You and uh, Dr. Miskovitz and Dr. Batar and Dr. Tenpenny, and all the people trying to get the truth, I just am so grateful. But one thing I believe, and they're talking about it in Italy, is that COVID is inserted into the flu shots. And since 52% of people are taking the flu shots, which is a very bad choice, uh, this is why we have all these positive cases showing up that are asymptomatic. Is anybody doing any research on that link? Okay, Maureen, thank you for the call. Jack, anything? Maureen, that's a fantastic question. Thank you, uh, by the way, for your, your positive thoughts and words. They mean the world to me. So uh, I've asked some really hard questions just digging into the data and been called a conspiracist. So I don't go that far <laughs> that far down the road uh, with respect to the governor and, and some of the things that I write. But I will tell you I've been paying attention uh, to the flu shot. I'm not... I'm not going to make any bridge over to whether I think it's true or not, but I'll I'll make a couple of uh, observations. It would appear to me that people who work in healthcare are probably mandated to take the flu shot. It would appear to me that um, residents of uh, nursing facilities and congregate living, elder congregate living settings are required to take a flu shot or encouraged strongly to do that, workers and residents. And then it would also, um, I would assume that prisoners are also um, encouraged to take the flu shot. Uh, those are our areas of, of biggest outbreak. 
I can back that. I can back that about the hospitals because my daughter is in pre-med at Hillsdale College, and she volunteered this past year, her freshman year, at Hillsdale Hospital. And even as a volunteer, Uh she had to get a flu shot, or she was not allowed. So that is what they do. They do require people at certain in certain circumstances to take them. Uh, Let me get to uh, Thaddeus in Parma. Jack Windsor is uh, with us. Thaddeus, go right ahead. What's your question? Yeah. Hey, uh, Jack. Is there any truth to the rumor or what I've heard? about uh, Medicare patients who pass away in the hospital, if they pass away, like, say, a normal illness, like, and I hate to say a normal illness, but like a heart attack or cancer or whatever, they get, like, $5,000, the hospital gets that, and then if they claim it's COVID, it goes up, and then if they're on a respirator and a resuscitator, it goes up from there. Is there any truth to that? Thank you for the call, Thaddeus. Go ahead, uh, Jack. That's a great question. My understanding, uh, I'll I'll answer it two ways. My understanding is that a COVID-positive patient in a hospital uh, would equal about $11,000 of revenue to that hospital. On a a respirator, it's about $39,000. I had uh, the honor of uh, interviewing uh, the epicenter nurse, um, uh, Erin Marie Olszewski, about a week ago. And she did the undercover work. Uh, she didn't go to New York to do the undercover work, but while she was there, she saw enough red flags that she started documenting and recording what was going on. That was my question to her. Uh, are hospitals incented? And she said, yes, uh, somewhere between eleven dollars and $13,000 for a COVID-positive patient. She found in New York that they were falsely coding people positive um, for that reason. Um, and then her claim was they were putting people on vents who didn't need to go on vents, and some of them a lot of them died as a result of that. So yes, there is a there is an incentive. My understanding um, that hospitals will gather more money to classify COVID and then to put somebody on a ventilator. Okay, last thing uh, I wanted to ask you, uh, Jack, is a question about testing. Nino Vitale, of course, an Ohio representative. I was going to ask you this question before I saw that he is actually trending right now on Twitter. Um, for his uh, very interesting approach. He is telling people to not get tested. He said all this is doing is they're encouraging more of these random tests. You mentioned it yourself with all these pop-up locations. He is saying stop being tested because that's what's leading everybody to believe there's an infection spread when so many of these people are asymptomatic. Don't get tested. Don't let them continue the fear. You say what to that? I say uh, it's an interesting thought, right? So we know that the um, percentage positive has gone back down to 5%, which means that the virus is under control, um, that we've been testing for a long period of time at height, heightened levels. And despite there being no um, transition over to increases in hospitalizations and, and deaths in a proportionate manner, um, that we continue to say that this thing is spreading like wildfire. Um, so, you know, the increased testing, it, it really is part of the, the fear-mongering equation and let's let that be the last word jack let's let that be the last word because we're out of time i know you will have more to say on facebook follow jack windsor and the jack windsor fan club jack so much very thank you so much for your time today and we'll see you tomorrow